Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs Hobby Hustle. How are you doing? You almost made it to the end of the week, so let's go. I can't tell you how freaking excited I am for today's episode. Before I talk about today's episode, I do want to plug something I said in the Wednesday show, just in case you didn't get a chance to hear it. I am taking Let It Rip submissions this week. And what Let It Rip is, if you weren't around here last time when we did it, it's an opportunity for me to hear from you and you to share your take with the rest of the Stacking Slabs family. So all you got to do, Record yourself, give a take that doesn't suck, like Jim Rome says, and if I like it, I'll put it on the show. That's all you got to do. Record yourself with your take, send it to me, stackingslabs at gmail.com, and I'll post those on next week's show. Fired up about that. I forgot about it. Had a bunch of people reach out to me saying, when's Let It Rip coming back? Well, it's coming back next week, so let's go. Today's episode is one you are not going to want to miss. I'm telling you, it's good. And it's with an OG legend, Rob Varis, the owner of Burbank Sports Cards, one of the OGs in the hobby. The guy's been in the industry for a long time, full of knowledge, so many stories. I love Rob's use of storytelling on a day-to-day basis on Instagram. He gets up and shares his thoughts and perspective, and that's something I appreciate. He's a guy I want to I'd want to buy a card from because I understand who he is and what he's about. This episode is chock full of nuggets, perspective, history, and so many stories. I love talking to card store owners that have seen it all in the good times and the bad. Without further ado, I can't wait to share this one with y'all. Let's kick it to the conversation. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. I'm really excited about this one today. I'm joined by Rob Varis who a lot of people claim to be the OG in the hobby, but I think, and Rob might be able to claim that throne, and I, I don't want to date you, Rob, but I just want to talk about like all the experience that you have, and I know I'm excited because I'm a fan every day I wake up. Rob's dropping a new uh, a video on his Instagram feed at Burbank Sports Cards about just what he's going through as a business owner and operator, um, COVID, and just technology and changes that he's made on on that front. So there's a lot I want to get into, but without further ado, welcome, Rob. Hey, great to be here, Brett. Uh, excited about this, but looking forward to it ever since uh, we talked about it. Awesome. Well, maybe we jump in a little bit of hobby history and you can share with the audience just your background in sports cards and how extensive it is and just um, the story of Burbank. Okay, well, let's go back to the beginning. It was 1979. Um, I was a 12-year-old kid, um, loved coins and stamps, a big collector. You know, I collected cards during the summer, um, but uh, my passion was uh, the other two. And I used to haunt this coin and stamp shop, and um, I got a job delivering flyers. That was my first gig, Um, a penny a car, two cents a house. And that was my humble origin story. And I worked there for about 10 years. And then the opportunity came to, uh, the owner wanted to, to um, get out. And um, I was 22. And my dad said, let's go for it. And he had faith in me. 
And um, this was 1989. And I've owned the business ever since. And it's just an everyday grind. Um, I've had some real highs um, in the industry. Um, I bought the Hawaii deal in 2008. Literally 340 foot storage containers to get back one of the most extensive collections in the history of the business. Um, I had a meeting here with Jim Beckett and Richard McWilliam. Um, Richard McWilliam was the owner of Upper Deck at the time. I was putting together a deal between the two of them. I've worked as the VP of um, Beckett, actually introduced Beckett Business Solutions, the partnership between eBay and events over the years. Um, I've had eBay to my store multiple times. Um, I have exclusives with them. That are pretty much unique. We have 2.6 million unique items on eBay, um, as well as our BurbankSportsCards.com site. Everything is color-coded, and you'll see colors behind me. Everything's database. Everything's imaged. Staggering inventory. Um, my son now works for me. For me, he works. I think I work for him actually. <laughs> um, he's Ryan. He's 25. He's the future. He runs the business, and. Um, you know, just love it. I'm very fortunate to get to work in an industry I love. Um, it's sports, it's money, you know, and it's so exciting right now. As industry gets younger, um, more tech savvy, more people jumping in with skin in the game to do this full time. I can't think of a better time in the industry in all the years I've been here. So that's a brief overview. And, um, you know, fire away. What you got? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you've seen a lot. Um, I, I think the ups and downs you talked about. Um, and if anyone hasn't checked it out, everyone's got to go to the Burbank Instagram page just to see the visuals of the amount of inventory that Rob and his team has at his disposal. And it's not just everywhere. It's very organized. And that's something that stands out to me when I watch your videos and you talk about your process, maybe talk about just like the importance of like organization and all the inventory you have in, in that process. Be happy to. Um, it was all built from my mother. My mother didn't know anything about cards. My helpful kind of be the adult in the room is me and all these kids were there. And uh, so before the internet, before everything else, we'd get phone calls. Do you have these cards? And I built the organizational system around her originally. And if my mother could find a card, anybody could find a card. And that was kind of the process. And then over the years, I'd have people walk in that were from the tech field and go, Rob, you've got a walk-in database here. It's just so organized. And um, time is money. I can't have a 50-card order from 50 different places, you know, cost 20 bucks to pull it when the order is $20. So it has to be efficient. Everything's color-coded. And what I mean by that is every sport has a specific color. Every year is alphabetical. So if I'm in 2004 baseball, the first box is absolute. And Bowman, Bowman's best, Bowman Chrome. Literally, we train someone for an hour and they can start pulling cards efficiently right then and there. Our shelving, like you see behind me, very, very tight. There's no real gaps. We can get as way more shelving into a confined space than you know anywhere else it's dewey decimal on steroids and as we started going um, further and further into e-commerce we realized that we needed to get tighter and tighter and eliminate steps and you probably heard about my steps and what people don't understand is the work involved whether it's the two biggest players uh burbank and comc we get more volume through here our two companies than anywhere and 
So what happens is, Brett, you show up in your Suburban and you've got your boxes in the car and it's a little disheveled. It's not exactly in Burbank order. So the first order of business, step one, you got to break it by sport. Step two, you have to break. So you got to buy year, you got to sport. So that's number three. So now you have the sport by brand. And then you need to break it by subset because every brand can have up to 100 different subsets. So once you're there, then you got to put those cards in order by subsets. Then you got to add the cards to the database. Um, otherwise, they just don't get online. So you add them to the database. Then you got to price them. Then you got to price the cards. Okay, that's another step. Then you got to scan the cards. So you scan them. And that's cool. But then you got to map them to the database. So now you're mapping the front and then you're mapping the back. No more steps, please. I'm like, no, no, no. There are more steps. Now you got to take those fresh cards and intersort them into inventory. Otherwise, how are you going to find them? And then the order comes through. Now you got to pull the cards. So now you're pulling the cards. And then you're like, oh, God, no more steps. I'm like, no, 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 dude. You still have to ship. And so now, heaven forbid you F up. So like 13 steps, you coming in with your disheveled collection to me having someone open a package for their mail day. And so people don't always understand it. And then when you take it to scale, you know, it's quite the complexity, but we have people along the way that are very, very good at each step. My guy that ships wouldn't know how to scan a card. My scanner wouldn't know how to identify a card. And that's one of the real tricks too, is identification. Something comes in, my team knows that's a 96 Pinnacle Starburst football card. <laughs> but you got to train that. And it's, it, that's the difficult part. And that's where ComC struggles as well, is getting people that know more than the last two years of Prism and Optic basketball, because there's a whole history of cards. And never mind if it's vintage, then you get that step of having to grade the card. Lots the, of steps. Yeah. And, and one thing I've picked up on uh, listening to you and the steps is just the importance of people and specializing people in specific roles to make sure the process moves smoothly. How do you keep up with 2020 and all of the new products that are coming out and not only like you selling, you know, wax out of your store, but then also singles and making sure that aligns with the database and all of that. How are you, it just seems like a never ending ongoing process. How are you doing it? Not keeping your head spinning or is your head spinning always? Oh, my head does spin. Um, you know, it's, it was tough pre COVID and now then you're down for 10 weeks that you're dark in your store. And then you reopen, but the problem is your online shoots up, your sales just triple like overnight, but your staffing goes like this because you can't have anybody in the store pulling orders. So that was a challenge in itself. Now we got to reopen, bring everybody in and every company that does things to scale in this industry, whether it's PSA, CLMC, Beckett, they've all struggled mightily. And, you know, we had the same problems. Um, I just hired my way out of it. And so there's that. But now, I'm trying to make sure I've got 2021 Upper Deck Hockey on my website and scanned and priced and people keep bringing me product and everything basically goes through me, believe it or not, because I can't really teach this to anybody else. Plus, I enjoy it. So I got to make sure that all this mosaic football that's flowing back in here gets to my ID teams where they can do all their work and they move it along scanning and they move it along to inner sorting and all of that. and. We have a line to get in our showroom right now, and we usually have it. Um, we can only keep eight to 10 people in here. So you have the struggles of the showroom, 
we're probably the biggest buyer of singles like anywhere. And there's nothing like having store credit at Burbank. So people are bringing stacks of slabs. You've seen how many slabs we can buy in a day. I mean, like hundreds. It's insane. Just the job of bagging all that shit. It's like, you don't think about some of the sunken costs of all this stuff and you're breaking boxes. This is wonderful, but it all takes time. And um, so, yeah, it's, but I love it. I mean, there, it's, it's the first world problem. I'm doing what I love. Business has never been better. And I'm working 70 hour weeks and not complaining whatsoever. I mean, what else are you going to do? A and B, I want, I want this built for my son when I retire, that he's got the best infrastructure and another 40 years of, of Burbank sports cards. Yeah, that's incredible. And the lines, I think if you want a snapshot of just what's going on in the hobby right now, just you can see the lines on in the Instagram of what's happening at Burbank constantly. And obviously with COVID, there's restrictions, but that is just like a, a real outlook of just seeing the demand of what's going on in the hobby right now, which is insane. But how are you keeping up? You talked about buying. I know you buy aggressively and there's the whole process with listing and selling. How are you keeping up with the ever-changing prices that go alongside like a Devin Booker uh, rookie prism card? How are you managing that? That's probably the hardest part of the whole hobby. And, you know, we do comps like comps are a beat down, especially with Beckett cards. It's just like trying to find BGS comps and you're constantly doing that. And when you get to scale, it's almost impossible to keep the pricing correct on things. And the funny thing is I'm doing comps and I think there's so much money in this business right now that are just, it's just dead money because you go on um, eBay and you're looking for comps and you see there's aggressive guys at 120, $110 on that card. And that's where I want to be. But there's other four and 500 that haven't repriced their inventory. And that's basically dead inventory. And, you know, it's, there's so much of that out there. And we use Beckett's accelerator software. We were the first person on the Beckett marketplace 21 years ago. And we've used their software for singles, you know, literally for decades now. And they pretty much keep up with the pricing. So a lot of the more generic stuff, you know, no big deal. Um, we try to stay on top of the um, the Shays and the Lucas and things like that. But you're going to get picked off when you get to scale. And you can't worry about it. It kind of is what it is. You know, a guy has a good half in a basketball game and <laughs> things explode. And, you know, when I've got, you know, I'm buying a deal. Ryan's, you know, comping, you know, a $5,000 deal. And it's like, it's part of the game, yo, as they would say in the wire. <laughs> how, how, I love the wire reference. How do you, how do you know? And I just, I've picked up on you talking a lot about just buying aggressively. How do you know, like with the business that you're operating and how vast it is when, is it just over time, you know, it's a good deal based on the price when it comes in the door and like customer, what cust the demand and what customers want, how, like, how are you going through that buying process? Cause I know you, you guys probably do more buying than anybody else. Well, it's funny. Cause I did a video of this at Burbank cards on Instagram. And I, I try to have my, my morning, um, whatever's on my head. And it was talking about buying and what a customer can expect when they come in the store and how do they maximize their cards. And the first thing I always say, you want to maximize your cards, you do it yourself on eBay and do the labor. Well, the response is always, I don't want to do the work. And frankly, I tell them, well, neither do I actually, because <laughs> it costs a lot of money. And, um, and once we get that kind of squared away, 
it's all about liquidity. You walk in with a Luca, you know, PSA 10, you know, Prism rookie, we're going to pay 80 points on that. You're going to get 87 points on eBay yourself, you know, once the fees are taken out. So we're real aggressive there um, because we can flip them, you know, as soon as we put an Instagram post out there and make some money. The liquidity as you go down to a Cam Reddish PSA 8 Prism rookie, now your liquidity starts dropping as do our buys. And then you start getting down to a 5,000 count box of silver mosaic commons and God knows what else. And I'm just looking at it going, that's 80 bucks. That's 30 bucks because time is money in here. And I've got a line outside and you've walked in without calling first and you've got this deal. And I'm like, just put to the side your better stuff. Let me get you a price for those. If that works, I'm going to buy those cards and continue with the collection because as a professional retailer, I can't be giving free appraisals. I just, I don't have that kind of time. So what I think is really kind of smart for retailers out there or someone at a table at a show is to not go down the entire rabbit hole. Be fair, you, you know, pick out the best stuff and explain to people, this is how it works. And, um, you know, and I, what I'll say, and I said it this morning is if you want top dollar, either do it yourself or go back to the company you bought the product from. Obviously, you're not going to go back to Target or Walmart. That's kind of a stupid thing for me to say, although I have said it to some guys before <laughs> that just give me grief. But a lot of stuff comes here from case breaks. And I'm like, you know, this is what we can do. I would think a case breaker could pay you more because, you know, they made the sale to you. And in my mind, the way a business works is, especially this one, it's a collectibles business. There's bids, there's acts, there's buys and sells. They have the cards in their possession. And I'm like, why doesn't a case breaker? Customer goes, mm, I don't really want that stuff. You know, can you give me some, some quote unquote store credit towards a future break? I don't know if any of them do that, but I would think as a person spending money, a lot of money with you, you'd want to be able to give something back. Unfortunately, it's a one-way market and a lot of those things, and they end up at local card shops or at Burbank or whatever it happens to be. Um, we'll always, you know, we like to pay more to our regular customers, if at all possible, um, but we get these people with their case breaks and they bring in their triple shoes. And I'm like, you know, I can't comp every single jersey you have. It's going to get grouped. But buying's hard. People have expectations. People have personal attachments to things. People have vintage. They've gone on eBay. Oh my God, I saw this card go for $3,500. I'm like, well, that's a PSA 9. Yours is a VG3 that's raw. You know, and I'm like, you got to explain, which we're happy to do. You got to educate a little bit. We're happy to do it. But we also need to get the expectations in line before we go further with a purchase. Yeah. And I, I'd love to talk about that maybe a little bit further. And from the perspective of like, it seems now in the hobby, with as popular it, as it is and all the new entries, there are certainly people that are hardcore collectors and collectors will tell you, right? They, they're, they're collectors at heart. And of course, they're trying to make a little money and maybe move up and get bigger cards. But then you've got a lot of new people coming in that are you know out to try to make money, right? They're trying to flip, try to get good cards and they might be as less educated on the hobby history and how it all works and interacts. I'm sure like in your role and, you at Burbank see all different types of people at all stages of their hobby history that they've had. How, like, what are some, like, especially this year, like what's some like perspective you have to share and just in terms of just like 
all the vast uh, people, the entry points of people in the hobby and how the co- types of conversations you're having with each of these types every day? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of my videos are about the conversations that I have every single day. You know, from that person that's lapsed, that collected back in 2002 or in my age, back in the back in the 80s, and they walk in and it's like being Rip Van Winkle and they fell asleep. And then they reawoke, you know, 20 years later to $1,000 boxes and slabs and you know, things that, you know, literally were alien back then. And, or you even get people that have never been in it before their friends collect, their friends are excited. They walk in my store and they don't know about soft sleeves or top loaders or anything. And it's our job to kind of groom them, kind of show them, show them price points. People walk in here and can get intimidated by looking at a lot of the newer box product. You know, when they're used to having paid 50 cents or a dollar a pack back then. And so it's important to have price points and it's important to um, educate people Um, they're confused. It's like me walking into Bath and Body Works to buy a gift for my mother and looking around going, all smells the same. How how come you have all these different prices? (laughs) And uh, I'm just, but that's our job here is to be patient with them because a lot of times we're the first interaction that a person has. Maybe they bought, maybe they were lucky enough to find a damn $20 blaster at a Target. I think it's total crap. Let me digress a little bit here. The whole purpose of a Walmart or Target is an entry point for mom to sit there and say, let's get you into collecting cards. It's 20 bucks. Mom can afford it. That's why the manufacturers produce these things is for new users. But people walk in here with like 100 blasters. And I'm like, nobody can find anything anywhere. And I'm like, the stores really need to go one per person. I know that's not popular with a lot of people, but we need entry points. Um, We need more hobby shops, actually. People think I'm nuts. And I'm like, a couple stores opened up in LA. I'm like, this is wonderful. They have huge social media followings and we need billboards. You know, so much of this stuff is done out of houses and, you know, done, you know, with, you know, footprints that aren't really seen. And I'm like, back, and I used to, oh, I forgot. I used to do seminars for Upper Deck, for Beckett, for Tops and travel the country. And one thing I always said was, we need more storefronts. We need, more educational points. And we need people to see this is a thriving business. And you don't get that when there's no stores in a given area. And how can there be still in this day and age, you know, I'm in California and there's this wide swath from like Woodland Hills all the way through Ventura, big population, affluent, you know, um, people as well. And there's no hobby shops there. I'm like, how does that even happen? It's crazy to me. We need more of them. And um, we need patient. Um, We need people that are behind the counter that are friendly, that have inviting looking stores. So many people come in, they're like, this store was a mess. That guy was rude. His prices were too high. They come to us and they see this. We've got people in here. We're competitive. We're friendly, you know, and just people, this is an escape. This is how you get away from COVID and get away with all the nonsense and the sickness and all that. We're an escape. I mean, we even crack beers in here, um, like around five o'clock. We got Coors Light in this place. And, you know, it's just that kind of social interaction. It's a sports bar. It's the card shop so important to the culture right now, beyond case breaks and people doing things out of their houses and, you know, that not so intimate face-to-face interaction. So shops no, are I, I love that perspective and just that sense of community that you're striving for. 
um, having a few beers, talking sports, opening up some packs. I think that's super important. Um, one of the things you talk a lot about, which is I think awesome, is just adaptability and just the fact that like you're someone who's probably has more experience uh, in a retail operation than anyone in the country or one of them, and you're constantly preaching adaptability. Um, it seems like there are some people in the hobby that have been in the hobby for a while and are are more rigid and they want things to remain the way kind of they always have, or they view new people entering in as a threat and they don't like how some people are investing in sports cards. Like what's your mindset in terms of like your, you grabbing a hold of adaptability and like bringing in technology and embracing some of these new trends that are popping up? Yeah. Um, first of all, um, I've got three guys that work for me that are way more tech savvy than me. You saw me trying to figure out <laughs> I'm, I'm always struggling with some of these buttons and stuff, but my son's 25. Uh, my dad worked with me for years. A tremendous businessman comes from a uh, general contractor. Um, he was the business side. I've always been the product and um, mostly the product guy. Uh, my son is a tremendous businessman and he's a savant with cards. Anybody that's met him will know that. And I've got two guys that work for me. They both started at 15. Uh, Eddie runs my eBay division. And anybody that runs Burbank's eBay and has to deal with the emails and just the, I mean, <laughs> we're the 13th largest volume seller in the United States in any category. Um, for just sheer things that go out the door. So he deals with that. He's technically great. So I have him. Then I have George, who's the best employee I've ever had. He's been with me 15 years and he just built built our new website, which is BurbankCards.com, that all of our premium stuff goes through. We got like 4,500 slabs on there. But this was built with their technology and me handing over the reins to a much younger uh, generation that gets it. But I've always been at the forefront and I've always been transparent about it. One of the things that we discovered years ago was scanning's the biggest bitch in this industry, bar none, just getting images and putting on the flatbeds, reverse, having to crop. And I discovered a scanner. This is back in 2013. I'm watching an infomercial and they're showing documents going through and business cards going through. And I'm like, that's got to work for sports cards. And so I found one online. It was a, okay, you're going to be a hero for this one. The machine's <laughs> called a, a Fujitsu 6130Z. We discovered it back in 2013. And little did I know, I was at the National when it arrived. And so George gets it. I'm like, dude, you got to tell me this thing's awesome. He goes, Rob, I just scanned an 81 top set in 13 minutes. 726 cards. Scanned it. Front, back, autocrop. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So our biggest problem was eBay came to me and said, Rob, we want your entire inventory on our platform. We're not going to charge you insertion fees. We want you to basically be a fulfillment center that covers all the long tail. Um, everybody's putting better stuff up. Nobody's really able to go as wide as we'd like. So I'm like, that's awesome. Oh my God, I've dreamt of this. I've chased them for six years because insertions are like three to five cents a listing, not a big deal. You have 100 cards on eBay, it's five bucks a month. Wonderful, that's nothing. But when you have over 2 million unique listings, that can become 60 to $100,000 without final value fees. And I'm like, I could never pull that off, right? So they're like, Rob, we're giving it to you. And I'm like, this is awesome. There was only one problem, images. Because they, they raised the necessary pixels, or what I'm losing 
whatever it is. I'm like, shit, I got no images. And so I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I discover this thing. I'm like, this changes everything. So I buy nine of them. I drop 10 grand on scanners. And my son, who was like 16, 17 at the time, I just started hiring all his baseball uh, teammates <laughs> and just started paying them eight bucks an hour. I'm going, dude, just go to town. Start at A because you got to start at A and we're going to work towards Z. It's not going to get done overnight. It took about 18 months to get the building imaged. And basically, we're at the point right now where it's just new inventory that comes in needs images. Everything else has images. And I know it's a dirty word, but we have to use stock images for a wide variety of our inventory. I'm not going to be like COMC and have 38 of the same 87 tops common with 38 different images. That's asinine. You can't do it. But once I have an image, I have an image. And it could be a 20 mosaic green football card. Um, I can't do eight different images for eight different cards on that low end stuff. Our new site, BurbankCards.com, is all premium, all the regular image. But that's kind of an example of technology. And we shared it. We told everybody, it's a 6130Z. Have at it. I started Beckett Business Solutions. People came on board. I'm like, this is the scanner we use. It was like alien technology. Um, and people are like, it's got to damage the card. I'm like, no, it, it doesn't damage the card at all. And people started using it and freaking out. And um, so we, you know, I'm transparent, always have been, bro. I mean, I want a better industry. I want a bigger pie. The bigger the pie, the bigger the slice that I can take. And so um, that's always been my mindset. But as yeah. far as technology goes, you know, um, just a real quick story. So um, I've always been tight with Jim Beckett. We have this mutual admiration society. And <laughs> he always kind of taught me um, do what's difficult and take it to scale. That was always his thing with me. And we talk now. He's like, Rob, I never meant to do what you actually went and did. <laughs> you're crazy. But back in 1999, there wasn't really many cards on the internet. It was just so wonky to get things up. And so Mark Harwell was the vice president of Beckett at the time. And he goes, I'm about to have a meeting with Jim. But before I do it, I want to make sure you're on board. And it was basically taking my inventory and him opening up Beckett's database and me simply being able to put in quantities, being able to globally put pricing in and push the cards online. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. All the nomenclatures there. I'm like, this is brilliant. And I'm like, Mark, I'm totally in. And all of a sudden, I had this web presence overnight because, again, I had a physical database. Everything was already organized. There weren't boxes stacked up. And it gave us a huge competitive advantage that we maintain till this day. But I thought it was cool that before he pitched it to Jim, he kind of had an anchor store already in place. So technology has always driven this business. And granted, there are so many guys like yourself out there now that are incredible with technology, but it's not always built around scaling a card shop it's kind of a different kind of technology yeah so. no, no that's that's great and a couple of nuggets that you shared there i think one just to call out and just and i talk about this a lot the importance of transparency and the the importance of like giving back to the greater good because when you do that the industry grows and no matter the position whether you're your owner a collector or whatever like the value of your cards will go up if if the industry is growing so I think that's an important nugget. Um, and you talked about, I, I guess I'm curious just on the industry side, you've seen so much over the years. Obviously, there was a big story uh, last week with Nat Turner and the uh, purchase of uh, Collector's Universe. 
PSA. Um, that's a big news story, right? I would, I would imagine as we go into 2021, there's going to be new people coming in, new, more acquisitions, new technologies entering the, the fray. Like, What's your perspective on like maybe all this like new money that's coming into the hobby? Yeah, I, I talked about this the other day too, and it's um, oh, I'm getting old. I'm uh, always forgetting the words, but it's um, help me with this. I use the word all the time. Um, um, disruption, <laughs> disruption, and um, I talk about it a lot. And actually, I talked about it a few days before Nat's announcement came out, and I was actually at PSA this morning, dropping off. Um, dropping off something and talking to our rep down there. And we're just at the beginning of disruption. And um, there's so much money on the sidelines. And I made an analogy, I think, to Brandon Ingram. Um, basically, a third, third team kind of NBA guy gets a five-year, $185 million deal. And you think about what that kind of money could do in our industry. We're talking one basketball player on one team in one league that could literally come in and own a huge chunk of this industry. He could have bought that LeBron card for $1.8 million and had 99% of his salary left. And he's like, oh, I'll take that basketball case for $1.8 million. I mean, literally, there's so much money out there. And we've been approached for forever with um, investment opportunities, guys coming in that want to disrupt. Some of them really, really sharp. I just had one last week that I think is going to do some damage. And I've had some not-so-sharp guys over the years that just came in and just really bright and then just like a supernova just you know disappeared and you know went away um there's going to be things selling psa is that's massive um i think every major company is going to be looked at like i want to buy panini i've got an investment group you know billion dollar companies are out there looking at this going we could get into this and own the industry like literally right now um we could buy panini uh, we can literally put all their product in fulfillment centers for Amazon, be top of search and just, you know, basically be the industry. Um, and that's exciting. And that's scary, depending on where you're at in the category. If PSA can be sold, that's a massive company because that's coins. That's everything. What else could be sold? I've never met Nat. Um, I'd love to meet Nat. I heard about it and I'm like the first thought process and I don't want to be like a downer or a negative guy. I'm like, that's kind of like letting the fox loose in the chicken coop. I'm just sitting there going, he's a collector of high-end cards. Um, I'm sure he's got good intentions. I'm sure he wants to scale it even larger, get the wait times down, probably bring in some technology to keep maybe keep the human factor to more of a minimum with the cards. Um, I see anybody that walks in with that kind of money having a business plan and having really smart people with them as well. Um, I had a company come in. I'm going to say maybe a month ago, and they said that we're just archaic. The industry is just archaic and splintered, and you know they want to come in and just change that. They want to be able to take it from loop to loop, uh, link to link to link, um, a solution for everything. You know, if this guy's case breaking, why doesn't he do X, Y, and Z? And why is his social, you know, um, media presence limited to just this when there's all this stuff out there? And, I'm listening in my head spinning and I'm like, I consider myself the smartest guy in the room in this industry talking about cards. But I was like, I was just the dumbest guy in that room because these guys saw the potential of this category 
you know, um, you know, just being lit up. And this was a billion dollar company looking at this and making a major play. And um, they're like, where would you start? And we started talking. I'm like, you know, if you want more information, you know, we can talk later. And um, I find it just fascinating because the disruption, PSA is just the first domino to fall. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos could look into his couch cushions and just own the category. <laughs> you know, he could disrupt in a way. And, and that's why I built a business the way I did is I want to be Amazon proof. I want to be Nat Turner proof. I want to be able to do something that can't be replicated. There's a lot of low hanging fruit out there. It's not real hard to buy and sell slats. It's, there's almost no effort whatsoever. It just takes some capital. And the same for case breaking. It's why there's like thousands of people that do the same damn thing because it's relatively easy. It just takes capital and, you know, you need to have an entertaining brand, but that can all be bought so quick. Because what happens if someone does buy Panini and there is no distribution channel and everything, you know, 800 pound gorilla and all this is fanatics. What happens if they want to make a bigger play? Because they're going to. They have stadium distribution. They have everything in place. I mean, already Panini's making uh, exclusive products for them. I don't see that going away. I mean, the owner just dropped a $3 billion bid on the Panthers and lost. I'm like, there's staggering money on the sidelines. And um, we, we need to have our, our business where it can't be. No one would want to replicate it. Who would want to go in and did what we've done over 30 years? You need your head examined. But that's always our niche is our niche. And um, we stick with that. Yeah. And I think that those are valuable points and nuggets. And it to me, it seems like, you know, you can buy sports cards from anybody. But like what stands out for me and the operation that you've built is that you're, you've got a brand behind it, right? You're the guy that gets up and just shares your random thoughts that you think will benefit the greater good on a day-to-day basis. And that's like brand building 101, just building an identity and uh, trying to separate yourself from all the rest of the noise. Um, I'm curious, just a final question on the technology side. It's like, from your vantage point, you see like everything. What do you think the like the biggest need right now in terms of like um, like gaps that exist within the whole process of, you know, going from manufacturer to distributor to like what 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 do you see as like the biggest need right now one of the biggest needs is distribution actually being distribution one of the things that absolutely drives me mad is you have a store like i was talking to um one of my good friends uh yesterday had a store for 30 years was allocated one box of prison football and i'm like okay um that's fair you know but he could have bought more of it the next day at whatever market price was and I'm like, is that distribution? Um, I think distribution's just not even distribution. I don't think you can call yourself a distribution company if you know you have a client over the last 20, 30 years that can't get any product at a distributor type price and needs to go in the open market when there's other customers that have come in in the last three to five years that basically get the lion's share of the product, but don't have the skin in the game and don't actually interact with the retail public. So it seems like the manufacturers are taking more and more of their product and selling it themselves. And I see that as more of a positive than you have a distribution company that's not distributing and taking the lion's share of the profits. That's not always popular. I say a lot of things that aren't popular. I don't give a shit. I've gotten to the point in my career where I don't care, but I don't think it's fair. And I was talking to them yesterday and it's like, you know, we've done this forever. 
And that's the thanks we get. We get one lousy box, but we can go out and buy it from them again at $1,000. And I'm like, that's a speculation company. That's not a distribution company. So that's my two cents there. And then the other thing is we talked about it briefly was the automation of the grading process. Every other industry uses far more technology to grade a collectible. Um, the human eye is fallible. I'm fallible. And, you know, I was talking to uh, my rep and, you know, PSA's backed up 1.5 million cards. And if Elon Musk can send a rocket into space and land it back on Earth, I'm fairly comfortable with the assumption that there is technology in place that can look at a three by five or whatever the dimension <laughs> is, piece of cardboard and be able to grade that in nine, 99.9% of the time and get smarter. My daughter is a um, cognitive science major at UC Davis. And we've had this discussion. She's like, dad, that machine's going to get smarter and smarter every single time it grades something. It's going to be like Skynet for cardboard. And that's what we need. Um, I'm not saying there's fraud. I'm not saying any of that. But to have eight-month wait times, when I, I just think that's asinine. And I just don't like the game. Um, I'm going to resubmit it here. I'm going to submit it back there. The, there's no way in hell that card should go from a $500 card to a $1,500 card. When it's the same damn card and it's the same condition. It needs, I mean, vintage cards, yeah, the human eye and the human mind and attributes really come into play. Um, textures of surfs and whatsoever. But these modern prism cards that are basically produced to be tens, um, you know, that's where you really need technology to um, be able to sit there and go, Okay, I've looked at the report on this given card. These are the dimensions. This is the surface. You know, this is, you know, and it's, that's the card. That's the, with that card, there is that piece of, that there is that data on that given card that it just exists. And every time you sent that same back, that computer's going to know it's the same damn card. What are you doing? It's still a nine. And I just think there's a competitor that's going to come in and is going to sit there and say, we did this coin business level. We've done this with stamps comic books, paintings, whatever else is collectible. And we're bringing it to sports cards. We have this track record. This is you know, not just some GMA that walks in and just wants to put stuff at mass retail when everything's a 10. And we're going to take advantage of Johnny's grandmother and all that bullshit that I can't stand. Um, we're going to come in. The, re, you know, the return times are going to be expedited because we have the technology. We have the money. We have the infrastructure. If we say it's a 10-day service, damn it, it's a 10-day service. I mean, to call something a 10-day service and it takes four months, you've got to call it a four-month service. And that's what makes me mental. There's so many things. I could go on for months with you, Brett. But those are the things that just irk me because you're grading through me. And I don't want to be the voice. Okay, you've heard this a million times. I don't want to be the face of disappointment. That's the biggest problem that I have is... They're not mad at Joe Orlando. They're not mad at Beckett. They're mad at me. They're calling me. They're emailing me. They're coming in the store. And I'm telling them, yeah, I know what service you paid for, but it's out of my hands. And I don't want to be the one that sells disappointment. And people are always like, Rob, why don't you do case breaks? It's so popular. And I'm like, 70% of my customers are disappointed. I mean, if I looked at my showroom, I got, I got too many people out there. Damn it. They got to do a better job out there. But if, if there's 12 people out there and 8.4, 84% of them, or whatever that number would be, eight, whatever, walk out of here going, damn it, that sucked. I'm not going back. I mean, as a retailer, as someone that has to face-to-face -face have interaction, I'm like, that 
doesn't lend to a positive business vibe. I want to make everyone walk out of here and go, damn it, I had a lot of fun there. I'm going back tomorrow. I feel whole. And that's what we try to do. And there's so many segments in this business that disappoint way too many people. I love that. I, I love that perspective so much on just the breaking side and why you don't do it. I think that's not talked about enough and just the importance of you being face to face with the market every day and not selling disappointment. And I know I've got regular listeners who listen to this show first thing in the morning when it drops and I'll wake up to DMs from all over the world about people commenting. And I know people when they're drinking their coffee, eating their bacon, and you just talking about the grading process or standing up there and just hands in there, fists in there, just like, yes, yes, because that is something I hear regularly. And I just love the fact that you just laid it out that way. Maybe just a couple of fun questions, just as we kind of round the corner. I'd love to know what top of mind for you, just like, what are some of the most badass cards that have just ever been brought into your store where you just were like, holy shit, I can't believe this is in here right now. There was this legendary purchase, and I'm going to just go a little bit in depth with it because there's probably never been a purchase quite like it. I had a customer named Lawrence Ching, not your typical card collector. He was in his late 60s, lived in Hawaii, Japanese ancestry, and he was basically a one-man economy in the industry. He literally wanted everything. He walked around with a telephone book-sized list, and 96 Action Park Artist Proofs, 97 Legends Autographs. I mean... The man was putting together everything plus vintage. And he'd come in four or five times a year, spend three days in my store, and drop, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars back when that was real money. And I was just like, he'd go to shows and he'd be at a table, just sitting there, you know, just going through his list. And he loved me because everything was so organized. And I built my systems around both him and my mother. And sad part of the story was he passed away and two days before my mother. And so I'm at the service and it's a bad day, obviously. And I get back to the shop the next day and my employee's like, um, someone named Kathy Ching called. I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. And she calls and basically her father had passed away. And so I'm like devastated. This is just so bad. And I'm like, when's the funeral? And she's like, well, I talked to your employee and your mother just died. I'm like, I'm coming out there because my business wouldn't be today without him. And so I fly out there for the service and I'm the only industry person there and we're talking and she's like, we've got literally seven storage containers and half of a 4,000 foot house that are basically cardboard. And would you come out and take a look and just tell us what we should do? And so I go out there for a week. This was a Hawaii trip that had no beaches. This was just me in storage containers, me in his house, literally from a T206 set missing 11 cards it would be worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. If you can imagine EX credential sets missing, maybe number one and maybe number three, 12 sets of 72 football with high numbers. It was literally everything. And rubies, <laughs> rubies up the yang, you know, the set missing six cards, but here's another 200 of them. It was a staggering deal. So I'm there. I put a big number at it and I was just doing an appraisal. They paying me for an appraisal. And he was like family. I'm not doing him wrong. So I go out there and I never really thought about purchasing it. And never really even, it was just the kind of money that was absurd. And I didn't think it was for sale. I, I just thought they wanted a number. And she calls me back and that number you gave, would you pay that for that? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on. 
I'm like, I'd love to. I just got to make sure I can come up with that kind of money. And so was able to figure it out. And then there's the logistics of getting this deal from an island in the middle of the Pacific to Burbank. And not only that, where the hell is it all going to go when it gets here? And not only that, what's it going to cost? And so I make some phone calls, never done anything like this before. Ends up, I hire a moving company. And so there's eight large Samoan guys. And it was just like, and I brought my kid, George, who still works with me. This was back in 2008 for two reasons. A, to help me keep an eye on everything, but more importantly, to have an extra duffel bag going back on the plane with the very best stuff because everything else is going on to a container on a ship. And we all know what can happen with that. And so literally there's like 56 and 57 top sets that are basically going on a storage container because there's all kinds of tobacco and 93 finest refractor sets and just the craziest of shit that we have in two duffel bags that should be handcuffed to our wrist. And so the final cost of getting it back was $30,000 just to get the shit from point A to point <laughs> B because it was three 40-foot storage containers. No joke. Because they couldn't fill it all the way up because of the weight. They could only fill it half. Wax cases, 5,000 count boxes. The weight was staggering. So then the other problem becomes these storage containers are coming across the Pacific. What the hell do you do with them when they get there? And so they all three of them can't come to me at once. Thankfully, we just moved into our 7,500 foot facility, which the back half wasn't shelved out. And if you go on my Instagram at Burbank Cards, our shelving's intense. We spent six figures on it when we first moved in. And so thankfully, we have the space, but we can only do one container at a time. So it's coming in, we get a container, and it's hot in there, and it's heavy, and there's so much stuff, and we're hiring guys strictly to help us get all the stuff out of there. And so we take all that. That container goes back. Next container comes, takes up our entire parking lot. It's rinse and repeat. And the stuff in there was staggering. I mean, 93 Sport King set and just the craziest of stuff. And yeah, there was a 52 mantle. Yeah, there was multiple 51 Bowman sets. It was just absurd. And so that was the biggest deal. Um, he was like a family member to me. We'd go out to lunch for an hour each day he was in the store. And in your mind, you're going, this lunch is really expensive because he could be at the shop just buying so much more stuff. But <laughs> We would talk about life, nothing about cards, just a wonderful human being. And I was the first call and I'm glad I was. And, um, you know, that really helped take our business to overdrive. And the funniest thing was people would bitch about our price. And Burbank was a verb at that time because Beckett was just so low on rubies and credentials and just all that crazy stuff. And we're triple book and people are losing their shit. How can you be like this on Red Crusades? I'm like, dude, take it or leave it. And they took it. And thankfully for them, they did because Beckett caught up with the pricing and just where that stuff's at today. And people that own those things, like graded those things. And there was, you know, red metal, precious gem, Jordan there, all that stuff that's just exploded. So that was by far the biggest thing. I mean, we bought other six digit deals, but that one was just. That's the reason you wake up in the morning. That's the reason you go to work. That's the reason you answer the phone. That's the way you're polite to every single person that walks in this store is because there's always something like that lurking around the corner and you've already got a reputation as the company that buys everything. 
So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Yeah, no, the punchline to that one, I think, is just the importance of building relationships because a relationship led you into a large acquisition that changed your business. I guess this has been a hell of a conversation, Rob. Maybe to close it out, like what's in store in 2021 for Burbank? Like what's top of mind for you? Top of mind is increasing social uh, media. You know, it's been tremendous for us. I mean, literally, I can turn a faucet in this place or I can turn it off. My son, Ryan, who half the phone calls basically is Ryan there. And if I make an announcement like Ryan's not feeling well, he's going home at one o'clock and I can watch my traffic be halved that walks in the store with just an announcement. And you think about back in my day, it was yellow page advertising. I spent $1,100 a month on the yellow pages back then. Advertising was expensive. I couldn't afford a commercial on television, but now I have thousands and thousands of people that want to hear what I have to say. So social media is by far the number one thing. We've redone the exterior of our, build, of our building, all kinds of manufacturer logos out there. That was a big thing. You know, scaling the business and how do we go next level? Technology through our new Burbank card site. You can submit cards through there. All kinds of videos that talk about the business, social media baked into it. Letting my guys that know technology run with things. Letting my son run with things. Buying capacity. Looking at our showroom in new ways that give people opportunities to do things they can't do elsewhere. We have thousands and thousands of dollar cards in this place that people can put their hands on because you can't do that anywhere anymore. So that is a huge priority for us is to continue the price points. Walking in here with 20 bucks and instead of buying a pack of basketball retail that yields four cards of nothing, you walk in here and you're picking up a Kobe, picking up a Jordan, picking up a Bellinger, whoever you enjoy, and not remember, not forgetting those types of people, which I hammer home every single day. Scaling up our grading, being able to have where you're looking on our site and be able to track where your cards are in the grading process. Being able to put our cards across the web further instead of just Burbank cards or Burbank sports cards or eBay. How do I land inventory on Etsy or just all the or Alibaba or any other platform out there and looking hard at those things? You know, looking at our infrastructure, can we lose a step in the production process? Can we educate our customers better when they walk in with cards so that, you know, we make the process easier? Um, there's endless things for 2021. And if we can actually have full traffic in here, can we have trade nights again? We only had one and it was staggering. We literally have to rent out a hall for our next um, trade night, literally. And I literally, if I was on social media, um, saying Burbank is doing a trade night at this location, I could have a thousand people there. So, I mean, there's so many opportunities. We can maybe make happy hour, you know, go a little later into the evening, extend the store hours, different promotions. I'm afraid to do them. This is a first world problem, but we can really, we're maxed out in so many different ways in this place right now, especially in the holiday season. Real quick, I don't know if you saw it, but eBay has been amazing to us. Did you see the video that they produced for us? It's on the Burbank card site. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I saw it, yeah, yeah. I'm like, those are the types of things I want to get more of. There was only two companies on the entire eBay platform that got this video. And if your users are curious what this video is, just go on our Burbank card site, and it's just a click at the top of the page, and it's literally like something you see on television that eBay produced. And I'm like, how do I get more of that? <laughs> My name known by Brett. 
but how do I get my name known by a Mark Wahlberg who's getting into the business? And how do I exponentially grow it in 2021 and get aggressive with that? 2021 is going to be amazing. It's going to be different, amazing. And people are afraid of change. I'm not. I embrace change. Bring it on. Um, We're going to adapt to anything. And I just have nothing but good thoughts of this industry. Things are going to go like this. It's it's just the way markets work. Um, you just need to insulate yourself, you know, from the big drops. And um, I'm confident my team can do that. That's awesome and great perspective. This was so much fun. Everybody, make sure you hit the follow button on uh, Burbank's IG account. Definitely visit the new website. And chances are, if you if you know it now or not, there high likelihood you've probably bought a card from Rob at some point in your. Uh, life cycle and the hobby. Rob, thank you so much for sharing your perspective and what's going on with Burbank. We'll have to have you back on uh, mid-2021 to talk about how things are going. It's not going to be me, bro. It's going to be Ryan. You're going to have Ryan on this thing because 50% of the calls are is Ryan there. Literally, he's he's going to be, I'm, I might be the OG, but by the time it's all said and done, my kid's going to be the GOAT. Um, you want to talk to him. Trust me. Maybe we can do a tag team effort, father and son. Sure. We did actually, we did that with Jim Beckett for Father's Day. Um, that was a real highlight. Just, you know, it's just like Jim Beckett's like in this ivory tower when I'm a kid. Oh my God. And to think that my father, myself, my son did his Father's Day special with them. And that's the great thing is the hobby in general, it's fathers and sons, it's families, it's generational. And I feel fortunate that my son is taking this business and I'm hoping that other people that are jumping in are able to be that lucky to have their um their offspring want to jump into this and take it next level because a business like this how do you sell it down the road is it you know i drop dead of a heart attack what happens to the business is the wife just come in and go what can i get for this you know so that's important to me as well i just wanted to bring that up and you know my kid does a hell of a job in here that's Mm -hmm. awesome well uh definitely go check out burbank and uh rob thanks so much for your time Pleasure. Let's do it again, Brett. And you're wonderful. You're inspirational every morning. And that's why I really wanted to reach to you on this. I love how you start my day. So thank you for that. Thanks, brother. We'll talk soon. I got to tell you that buying story, I, after I got done talking with Rob, it was actually a 60 degree night in Indianapolis. So we walked down to eat some Mexican outside and I was, God, it was so good, by the way, just some brisket tacos off the hook, La Margarita in Fountain Square, Indianapolis, if you're ever in town, dopest of the dope, I'm telling you. But I was talking to her about the story that Rob shared, and I just couldn't believe it. Like, talk about the importance of building relationships. And that buying story, he said, changed the whole trajectory of his business. That is important. It's all about who you meet in the hobby. Definitely go hit follow on Burbank's IG stuff. Go check out the eBay store, the new e-commerce site. What he's got going on is first class, and I love it, and he's such a good dude. Definitely hit follow on this show. Subscribe. All the social channels. You know the deal. Tell a damn friend about Stacking Slabs. Hopefully you're all taking care, keeping safe, enjoying some sports, enjoying some basketball going. We got football coming on this week. Um, weekend. Just so much happening in the hobby right now. And it's just so awesome to connect with all of you on a weekly basis. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. I'll talk to you again next week. Peace.